Hey Trailblazers, welcome back to the Business Casual. If you're new here, welcome. My name is Stacy, and I'm the host of the show. On today's episode, we are talking all about imposter syndrome. Today, I am joined by Angela. Angela loves inspiring and empowering students and new grads. Professionally, she's a senior consultant at Deloitte and is focused on transforming the public sector to ensure equitable access to services for all Canadians. She was also recently second to the Future of Canada Centre as a policy advisor, where she advanced the discussion on affordable housing and economic development. Personally, Angela is the founder of Advice by AC, a collaborative career mentorship community that inspires and informs consultants throughout their journey. With that, I welcome Angela to the show. Good morning, Angela. How are you? Good morning. I'm super well. How about you? I'm good, thanks. Thank Thank you you so much for joining us here at The Business Casual. I asked a few questions on our Instagram story and listeners sent in questions about imposter syndrome and how they've been dealing with it and what their questions are for you. I know it's something that you told me you wanted to focus on. It's something you've struggled with in your career. So I'm looking forward to the conversation and hearing your perspective. Yeah, for sure. I'm I'm happy to share because I think that uh, definitely I'm affected by imposter syndrome, but also every single other person, no matter what level, gender, background, education, they also are affected by it. But not a lot of people talk about it. Almost it's like there's a little bit of a stigma around it, especially in the consulting profession, because we want to seem so sure of the advice that we're giving to clients and also of the different public, I guess, like persona reputation that we give. So happy to shed light on that issue a little bit in this discussion with you and hopefully by sharing some personal experiences. I'm really looking forward to it. But before we get into all of that, we're going to start with our five rapid fire questions. And the first one is, if you won the lottery today, what is the first thing you would do? Um, Maybe a little boring, but I'm actually heading off to grad school this year. um, Nice. Yeah, for for fall 2021. So the first thing I would do is put away some of that money for my grad school and then the rest will go into an investment. (laughs) That's good. I mean, you got to pay off the student loans, get that the education. (laughs) That would be a good use of the money. If you had to leave Canada, and I know you studied in the States, so I'm curious Mm -hmm. to hear your answer. If you had to leave Canada, where would you want to live? I definitely think something warm um, that would be my next destination after Canada. So that could either be somewhere like on the West Coast uh, US, so San Fran, or maybe somewhere even warmer and more tropical. Um, I'm actually personally from Shanghai. I moved to Canada when I was small, but I still have family there. So Shanghai or maybe even Singapore would be really interesting places to go to. That's so interesting you say that because I'm actually currently looking at exchange and Singapore has a great exchange (laughs) program with the U of T. So I've been researching Singapore and they have been really cool places to see and food and everything looks very high tech. So it's it's delicious. It's high tech. I've heard so many good stories of people going to NS, NSC National Singapore yeah, that's the, the US. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that one. Yeah, so I, I would highly recommend it, even though I've personally never gone. <laughs> well, thank you. I'm sure I'll, I'll, I'll ask you questions <laughs> after the show if I have any questions about it. Um, kind of leading into that, what's the most spontaneous thing you've ever done? Um, 
<laughs> so I don't recommend you guys doing it, but I was younger and more impressionable at the time. This was on my grad trip right after um, graduating from university in 2017. I was in Seoul, Korea, and in Seoul, they actually have a lot of piercing studios on the street. They look really nice. It's not like <laughs> your like typical scary tattoo and piercing mix. Um, and I actually got my like ear cartilage pierced 15 minutes okay. before I was supposed to leave for the airport on my flight back. <laughs> so, oh my gosh. Yeah, it, it was it was a decision, a split second decision. <laughs> that is very spontaneous. I'm not a very spontaneous person. So I love hearing other people's spontaneous stories <laughs> because that's something I don't think I would ever do. But at least it worked out. And now you have, I think it's really popular yeah. when gets the cartilage. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, I mean, like, I guess my spontaneous story isn't as spontaneous. It's like, let's go on, like, an adventure right now. <laughs> let's book a ticket and let's just go, because I have had some friends do that. I think I'm also more of, like, a, I don't know, boxed-in adventure yeah. kind of girl. <laughs> I hear you. Uh, if you could shop from one place in the whole world for free, what store would you pick? 200% Aritzia. And yes. I think, like, a couple of reasons for that. One is just so much of my clothes is from there like both um I guess like personal fun clothes and also a lot of professional clothes because they have such a good professional line um and like the second thing is there there's so many colors there's like so many textures and fabrics and everything and I think like if not 50 percent or 75 percent at least like 40 percent of my wardrobe is from there <laughs> no 100 percent. I I would de- oh my gosh <clears throat> what's going on 100% I would definitely pick the same and their clothes are just so expensive that yeah you need it to be free in order to buy a lot of it <laughs> it could get so pricey um, yeah 100% um a lot of my friends and consulting I think every single time where they're wearing like a new blouse or a new suit and I ask them where they got it from it's always Aritzia and then the next thing they follow up with is it was so expensive so make sure you get it on sale <laughs> even on a consulting salary <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious uh it just never goes out of style though like there yeah. some of their pieces that I've had for like years now like pe- you can still go in the store and buy it which is great I like that like that it's, like it's timeless it'll always be in style so and their super puffs are so good they're so warm. yeah <laughs> for sure uh lastly who inspires you or who do you inspire to be like I I definitely say that all of the mentors that I have in my life right now, like not, I guess, like through formal mentorship programs, but from people that I've just gotten to know who are a little bit older, more established in their careers and people that I just naturally look up to or want to be like, um, they always really inspire me because they're all such good people and also super empathetic and empowering as leaders. I think that, um, Maybe we've talked about it in the past, or maybe I think I brought it up at the um, leadership summit we were a part of two weeks ago, but I didn't have the easiest time when I was transitioning into consulting because I had, um, I was like starting off in a branch I didn't really like, had to find mentors to like pull me through the other groups that I did like, and just having people there for me opening doors within Deloitte and also within my personal life to grow and for example, um, get into so many great grad schools, I now have a choice. I think um, they just really inspire me to be a better person, like in my life, but also to be um, a more empathetic leader as well as I start to lead and manage teams within Deloitte. Yeah, I think it's really important that, you know, mentors, 
whether they be in your personal life or professional life, you want them to kind of embody everything. Like you want them to be really great career mentors and then really great personal mentors as well. Because like, I'm definitely someone I'm extroverted, but I also just feed off Mm -hmm. of other people's energy. So if you're giving off a really good energy, that it just automatically makes (laughs) me have a way better energy. So I totally understand what you're saying. I think it's really important. Yeah, for sure. It's difficult sometimes to find those mentors too. I think it is. And I would say that, um, like my best mentor, like a best friend, if I can call her like that. Um, I actually met them really serendipitously. Like we were going to a conference sponsored by Deloitte, but I didn't know they were going to be there. And we ended up in the same small, um, like tour group throughout the conference. Um, like this person, he actually worked in the specific subfield in defense and like military defense that I was really passionate about. And we got along so well that he actually became my official coach at Deloitte. Now he's actually okay. left Deloitte, but we still call every week because um, he's also become a personal friend as well. So I love that like um, for this and a couple of other mentorship relationships, I've been really able to transition from like a peer, like you give me advice, I give yeah. you whatever to an actual um, friendship with some of these people. Yeah, that's definitely really nice. And it's nice that story. Like it was kind of like, it was almost meant to be like, you didn't even know you were <laughs> yeah. together in the same group. So that's really nice to hear. Yeah. Um. So getting into our conversation today and really playing off of our last episode here at the Business Casual, which was all about staying true to yourself. As we mentioned, today's conversation is all about imposter syndrome. And like you mentioned at the beginning, it's something that all individuals deal with. And Google told me that 70% of individuals <laughs> deal with it. And I thought this was a perfect topic for today because it is recruiting season for students. It's also university and post-grad applications or, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, hearing back from all these schools. And I think it's something that students and young professionals and even professionals later on in their career are still dealing with to this day. So I think it's a perfect opportunity to talk about this. And starting off, I wanted to talk about what it is because Mm -hmm. I think as a student, sometimes you hear this word and you're like, yeah, I know what that (laughs) is, or I act to know what it is. Um, but how would you explain it to someone who has never heard this term before? Yeah, for sure. So I think that imposter syndrome, I guess the more official definition of it would be, it's actually a psychological pattern. So it's something that changes within your way of thinking, where you really doubt your skill sets or your talents or your past accomplishments and experiences. And you start to have this internalized fear of being exposed as a fraud, despite you already knowing that you have had those great experiences in your past that make you qualify for whatever position or whatever experience you're trying to go for next. So essentially, it's this feeling of severe inadequacy and self-doubt that's not really founded in reality. And I would say that, like you alluded to this earlier, but the worst thing or maybe the best thing, depending on your perspective, is really that it can affect anyone, regardless of how old they are, um, where they are in their career, their level of perceived success. I think that definitely I (laughs) I agree with the 70% statistic, and I fall within that 70% as well. I actually struggle with imposter syndrome quite a lot at work now, not so much when I was first starting out, but I think that now that I'm talking to clients more and I realize that when I talk to them, I speak like a consultant in a way that's different than my normal voice or the normal words that I would use. 
and I actually do feel it a bit as well as um, I try to like ramp up advice by AC because although I run my recruiting team or sorry I run recruitment for the Toronto public sector transformation team and I've also been through the process been successful through it it almost feels weird like who am I to be giving advice to all these other people out there no definitely I hear what you I hear what you're saying it's it's almost like you're watching yourself like you see yourself as someone else (laughs) but then like in your mind you're someone totally different and while I haven't really had work experience yet like even in my program and in some of my courses when I look at my other peers and I'm like they know way more than me they're for example like in finance and economics Mm -hmm. I'm like how I shouldn't be in this course like they are a lot more educated than I am and they know a lot more about these topics like Mm -hmm. I just don't belong and we'll be in group projects or be working on something and I'm always like in the back of my head and again like I've mentioned I'm you know very extroverted and I always like put on this front but it's like behind you're like this isn't really me like I don't know if I should be here and it's really hard to kind of tell the difference I think between mm-hmm. having imposter syndrome and actually being less experienced and knowledgeable yeah. do you have any thoughts on that yeah for sure like I think that the difference between the two is that with imposter syndrome you know in your heart that you are qualified you understand logically that you have great experience to share that you're a subject matter expert or you have knowledge about the topics but you still feel like a fraud or you still feel like a failure despite all these, I guess, um, facts that you're presented with, right? It's almost, I would say, an irrational thought pattern that goes on in your head. Like you know one thing in your gut, but your heart is telling you something else and you feel something else entirely. But I think like on the other hand, when you're actually less experienced or less knowledgeable, that's a fact, right? Like you, um, you're talking about school. So for example, if you're in an upper level econ course and you're a freshman, of course you're actually less experienced or less knowledgeable because the other people in the course, whether third years or fourth years have had some more additional academic training than you, right? Or for example, if you've always worked within the public sector consulting industry um, within your firm and then all of a sudden you're thrown onto a financial services project then yeah like I wouldn't really say it's imposter syndrome but more so you taking into account that you truly are less experienced and less knowledgeable within the industry I think like the the best I don't know too long didn't read summary of this would be just imposter syndrome is more so a feeling and then being less experienced and less knowledgeable is more so of a fact yeah, that makes sense. I think that's a great piece of advice and a great way to look at it. I also, it just felt we were, I was like prepping for this um, podcast. I was thinking about the game Among Us and I was oh thinking gosh, about yes. how it literally <laughs> is the same. Like there's the imposter and you're trying to find that imposter and that's somehow how people think, feel. They think mm-hmm. that like people are seeking to find them and like to expose them for their imposter syndrome when really that is not the case. And if you are part of a team and you deserve to be there and you earned your way there, then for people sure. just want to help you. They want to work with you. They're not trying, or in most cases, at least, they're not trying to tear you down and expose you. In any way. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. Like it, it's so funny you brought up this fact because 
I'm actually interviewing one of my managers for advice by AC and in her response to like I asked her like do you deal with imposter syndrome and she says yes but the way that I handle it is that I know um for me even if I'm an imposter air quotes um no one's going to try to like show that I'm an imposter right within the meetings within her work within her personal life because just that that's just not how people think like people or actually the grand majority of people <laughs> will yeah. not go about their day with exposing you as inadequate in mind because I think like ultimately um maybe people will disagree with this but people are selfish like they're self-centered they want to be bettering themselves and I actually think imposter syndrome is a good example of that right like you think that people other people go about their day trying to expose you but in reality all these thoughts are truly in your head so in in like Sarah's case um when she mentioned that spinning that thought track around and thinking about how no one's trying to actually expose you in your life it really helped her and it could help others in overcoming the syndrome yeah I think that's a really great piece of advice and it, it's that idea that I think so many of us, especially my generation, I think this plays into like why so many people deal with imposter syndrome and yeah. maybe into social media is that we think people pay a lot more attention to us than people actually <laughs> do, or people think a lot more about us than they actually do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. Like I, I think that the number one trigger for imposter syndrome is feeling that all this attention is on you so you have to live up to an expectation or more so like setting expectations that are uh, like unrealistic notions of what can actually be good or competent in your case and also setting expectations that are exceedingly high and I think that that's so so easy to do in a world with like rampant social media whether that's uh, like Instagram, TikTok, LinkedIn, I think especially on LinkedIn because people, especially LinkedIn. Yeah, I see you nodding. Yeah. Like um, hundred percent, like LinkedIn and all, like all the other social platforms, actually, it's a place where you really post your success. Right. So if you just see like post upon post of people's success without really understanding how they got to where they are or like why this account has like a hundred thousand followers or whatever it's really hard for you to contextualize it um because you don't see the like work that they've put behind it right it's easy to think like me sitting here in my chair why am i not at x school or at x firm or whatever but without truly understanding their path and then comparing it to your path it's really hard to say um like am I really an imposter or am I just on my own career journey my own life journey in a way that's different than theirs yeah and I think it's so hard to not play into that mindset like you really have to be so have so much self-discipline because especially with LinkedIn um on like a professional side when you're like Mm. why am I not at this firm or like why did I not get any positions or like all of these types of negative thoughts it's difficult not to play into that when you're on a platform where like you said it's everyone's successes and then it's hard to yeah on the flip side when you have a success not want to post it not want everyone to see it and not (laughs) yeah it's that mindset of how much is too much and where do you draw the Mm -hmm. line um I'd love to hear your thoughts on the quote fake it till you make it what are your (laughs) what are your thoughts on that 
I think that a couple, couple of thoughts like I love the quote because it's essentially what you have to be doing at least in my industry um for consulting like clients pay us to be experts but the reality is we might not even know what the client is doing until like three weeks into the project if it's a bad project right so in that sense like almost all consultants at the more junior levels we're all faking it until we make it <laughs> until we understand more of like the client what their needs are what we can solve for them so on and so forth so to me like fake it until you make it is very much a reality of life but I think that on the other side there is definitely a dark side to the quote right like I think um, if you are struggling with certain things in life, like having that mentality of faking it until you make it, it could be really detrimental because then you don't want to be asking for help. And I think that asking for help, seeking advice, seeking mentorship are all things that can help to get you out of whatever rut you're in and back onto the path towards where you want to be to help you achieve your goals, to get you to the outcomes that you want. And that's why I actually really love LinkedIn posts where people are asking for help, right? Like I um, like just graduated from like XYZ. I don't have a job lined up because of the pandemic, like who can help me out? And that's kind of what inspired me to start Advice by AC and start posting in the first place. Um, so it's, it's like a double-edged sword. Um, on one hand, it's so prevalent as um, like a commandment almost <laughs> within consulting, but also it, it could cause like certain people who are newer in their careers to struggle and suffer a little bit because they're less um, willing to reach out for help. Yeah, I think that also, um, like you said, in consulting, I think most anyone who first joins the workforce especially like in the corporate <laughs> workforce you're gonna yeah. have that kind of bit mentality where it's like I gotta yeah. figure it out on my own pretend like I know what I'm doing even though I might not know what I'm doing but I think yeah definitely in consulting and just quickly um mm -hmm. do you want to explain a little bit more about like your role in consulting and like kind of a little bit like what your day-to-day -day looks like because I know we have a lot of listeners who are also uh, really interested in consulting it's a popular mm -hmm. career choice and mm -hmm. one that's highly desirable for sure for sure so I think that the gist of consulting is essentially you're solving problems for whatever client comes to your door um I was both in the private sector for a while actually focusing on focusing on retail companies so for those companies I would help with any of their business problems from strategy through to I don't know like um like data management, tech strategy, go-to-market strategy, um, understanding how to market to different customers. These are all things that I've worked on. Essentially, like your client comes to you with a problem that's been a long time occurring within their organization. They don't really know how to solve it themselves. They might not have the expertise. So they engage a third-party consulting firm to come in with their subject matter knowledge to really truly understand the problem, develop some recommendations, and then also sometimes to help them to implement it. So I think that um, in the public sector, which is where I now work as a public sector consultant, it's a little bit different because instead of working towards like the bottom line of a firm or um, helping them with more monetary aspects, what we help them to do um, the majority of the time is to create more value for citizens. So the 
day to day, I would say it's still quite similar because no matter what you're doing in consulting, especially strategy and operations consulting is you always, um, day one, arrive at the client site, you try to start understanding their problems, drilling down bit by bit, interviewing people, looking at their data, looking at their past reports, so on and so forth. Around the middle of the project, after you've conducted a current state assessment, you sit down with them, walk them through your findings, and then you align on a couple of things that you actually want to resolve. So then you get into your future state development and delivery. So you're trying to help them think, okay, um, understanding your problem and understanding what other governments or other companies do better, what can we help you do tactically within the next three months, six months, 12 months, however long to get you where you want to be. And that cycle repeats for every single project you're on. Um, typically projects are like two months to four to six months. And within your career, you get to solve so many different problems, meet so many cool people, work with so many different clients. And I think that combination of um, like you're never, like you never stop growing and learning and also the fast turnaround makes consulting a super attractive career for a lot of young people. Me included. <laughs> 100%. It's definitely something that a lot of students, especially at Rotman, um, mm-hmm. it's a highly seekable career and especially like Deloitte, all the big firms, uh, yeah. everyone always wants to work there. And just while you were describing your kind of day to day and what your mm-hmm. job is, I want to ask you why you think imposter syndrome is so detrimental to one's career and why it's mm-hmm. something that people should really focus on Um changing their mindset and working on, uh, because definitely from your point of view, where you're working with a lot of clients, I know there can definitely be some roadblocks if you don't believe in yourself or have imposter syndrome. Yeah, for sure. Like I think imposter syndrome is so detrimental because it like really affects the way that you think and you function at work. Um, You're right in mentioning that the client side, you always feel kind of like weird, maybe like even anxious when you're going on client calls because you don't, want the client to think at the back of their heads that you're not qualified for the job right or to like complain to your managers or senior managers that you're doing a shitty job um but (laughs) i think that more so outside of the actual client work that you're doing um imposter syndrome is really detrimental because it can prevent you from advancing in your career in the sense that if you think you're an imposter you're more or you're less likely to advocate for yourself to promote your good work and to strive and ask for other opportunities. Or like, even when you do get the recognition that you truly actually deserve, you might not think you like merit it. And when this is compared to someone who doesn't, or not really doesn't, because I think everyone really experiences imposter syndrome, but someone who experiences imposter syndrome to a lesser degree, they might be more willing to put their hand up for projects or to accept new positions that are more stretch roles, um, or they're more likely to advocate for their work, talk about the good things that they're doing and gain recognition that way. So I think that when I was first starting, I definitely felt like a bit of an imposter just because I was also the first um, direct from campus hire in that team that I originally started with. So I really questioned like, what value was I bringing? <laughs> like, what am I doing here? And I never put my hand up for opportunities. 
But then when I moved into this current team, public sector transformation, about one and a half or two years ago, I made a conscious decision and promise to myself to stop behaving this way and to like share the work I'm doing. So for example, every time I run a recruitment event, I like tell my entire team, like ask them to come volunteer because on one hand it um, helps like me to get the recognition that um, I'm helping to run this very significant program. But on the other hand, everyone else gets to pitch into recruitment and hire the people that they think will collectively help us to better our firm um, and I think that more and more so in my career I I both struggle more with imposter syndrome in certain cases but also struggle less in other cases so in terms of when I feel more impostery it's when I'm offered um, significant like title changes so for example, on this current project I'm on, uh, which is truly very high impact, um, they put me on it as a stretch or acting manager. And at first I was almost inclined to say no, because <laughs> I, I don't know if I could handle it or not. Now that I'm in the role, it's a lot easier to deal with. Um, but on the side of imposter syndrome that I'm dealing with less, I would say is that um, I feel super confident in my potential to deliver on like um, actual day-to-day -day client deliverables and consulting work. So figuring out what the problem is, finding recommendations based on best practices and helping the client to see it as well and implement it. Those are things that I feel much more confident about. I'm really glad you brought up the point of how the imposter syndrome has changed a little bit as you move <laughs> yeah. further in your career, because I think it's something that students if you're in academics and you're feeling imposter syndrome or you get your first job and you feel it, you might overcome it in that particular position or mm -hmm. that like mindset. But as you move further along in your career, it might come up again. And that's like For normal. Sure. That's not something yeah. that you need to feel is, is, is different. And that's why I think also, no matter what stage you are in your career, you might experience imposter syndrome because it doesn't have any set guidelines. It's like, this is the recipe and this is what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. And of course, I have to ask you the million dollar question, which is how does one overcome it? Or what tips do you have that have helped you at different stages in your career? Yeah, for sure. I think um, you actually touched upon the most important one, which is to know the signs and recognize that imposter syndrome is what you're dealing with. And then after that, to just, you know, like tell yourself that everyone deals with this. It's common. It will come. You'll beat it, it'll come back again and you'll overcome it again. It's nothing to be ashamed of because it's almost like a, a, it's a normal feeling to be honest. Um, but I think that a couple other things that have helped me and have helped others because I've discussed this quite often, especially with my female colleagues of how to overcome these feelings of inadequacy. Um, and the first one is just like knowing that you're not alone, right? Like. So many people struggle with it. So many people can help you to overcome it. So definitely reach out for help like with the people that you feel comfortable doing it with. The second thing that I'm like trying to do more and more of is to let go of my inner perfectionist and also to stop comparing myself with other people who are further along in their own journeys. So I'm trying to really work on um, just comparing and competing against myself and also if I do look up to someone as else's career or their trajectory or whatever 
I think about it as a point to aspire to instead of something that makes me feel bad because I'm not there, right? Um, like a third thing that I, I found helpful is that um, instead of looking for others' careers or where they are in a fixed point in time as the milestone that you're trying to go towards, you actually make your own goals and then you try to track your success and movement towards those goals. So it's a little trick, I guess, I learned from consulting where we help our clients to develop these like key performance um, identifiers and metrics and stuff. Um, I started to develop them for myself. So for example, when I was applying for grad school, I actually made a very <laughs> detailed checker with goals and like my performance against it and such. And that helped me to both um, like budget my time better and also feel less bad about working long hours in consulting and not being able to, I guess, like move towards the goal I wanted to. And I think that the last and biggest tip that I have for overcoming imposter syndrome is to try to beat the outcomes of it right, in the sense that one outcome or one result of imposter syndrome is that because of the way you feel, you're less likely to say yes to opportunities that come your way. So the biggest counterance to that is that always say yes to opportunities that align with your goals, even if you feel underqualified for it. Because even if you don't see your own potential, someone else has, and instead of saying, no, thank you, you should be saying like, yes, thanks, give this to me right now. So I can work towards learning these skills and further solidifying to myself that I'm not an imposter, but rather someone who is truly qualified in this realm. I think I don't even know what to add because that was all really well said. <laughs> but I just, one thing I, I really want to touch on is um, is writing down your goals. It's something that like, journaling has become a lot more mm -hmm. like a, tr a trending thing I would say it's something like you know you see on TikTok or Instagram but I think when you write down a goal and you set realistic goals um, but goals that are going to push you it really does make a difference and it really yeah. helps internalize them to say that no I'm like putting down on paper this is real it's not something I'm just going to say and like forget about it next week like I'm going to work towards these and I'm going to hold mm -hmm. myself accountable because as we've mentioned this whole episode, imposter syndrome is not really about anyone else, but just yourself. Like you yeah, have to sure. prove to yourself that you're worthy enough to be there. You hold the skill sets. And so I think that's just one thing I wanted to add is that I think if you write down your goals and you really set mm -hmm. attainable goals and how you're going to get there, that's also going to help in the end overcome imposter syndrome and help yeah, you feel more sure. like accomplished <laughs> yeah like I think like one of the things I love best is like crossing off my to-do list at the end of the yes. day or end of the week um but definitely I just wanted to add a little bit more to that as well like make sure the goals you set are actually attainable <laughs> yes, or else you have true. things that you can't cross off and you just feel worse about yourself after right um I think like I, I originally was of the mind that I only have one main goal and that's the only thing I can strive towards. But something that I actually learned from my boyfriend actually is that he likes to set um, smaller, more attainable goals that you can work to every week and you feel accomplished every week, which gives you more momentum to work towards that big goal at the end and to like climb the summit, right? Um, so definitely I think that setting goals that are slightly out of hand, but you know you can still get there, it's a good way to motivate yourself. 
So just um, journaling in general is something that's helpful, right? I actually do like three types of journals every day. I don't know if that's overkill, but um, <laughs> like I, I always start my day with a little bit of gratitude journaling and affirmations. So like literally just three things I jot down, like three lines each on like what I'm grateful for and also what I promise to do that day. So it's as simple as sometimes like getting eight hours of sleep because I don't <laughs> sleep that much as a consultant or like making sure that I go out for a walk because I'm always at my standing desk or my normal desk working away on my project. And then at night um, when I have the time, I also try to do a more fulsome journaling exercise where I reflect on a day, like what I've learned, um, how I'm feeling, like did I struggle with anything or was there anything that I was really proud of? And I think that having self-reflection, but positive self-reflection is that um, it's something that's really helped me and for sure has helped tons of others because journaling is so popular and so touted as a method to deal with anxiety and stress and all these symptoms that are associated with it. So highly recommend people to take it up if they haven't already. It's definitely something I'm trying to work on. Like you said, it's that just finding time to like reflect mm-hmm. and take some time for yourself. It's really important, especially with everything being online and being like by yourself a lot more and just like at your computer, like not really around other people. Like mm-hmm. self-reflection is even more important because it, it's you. You're the one there doing your work. You're the one holding yourself accountable for all of your tasks. So I, I definitely agree with that and highly recommend it. Um, and to close off this episode, I want to ask, what is one piece of advice that you want to leave listeners with that you wish you knew when you started your career or a piece of advice that you've been given throughout your career that's really stuck with you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say um, it, it's something that we like gently touched upon earlier, but definitely the biggest piece of advice that I have learned is that you are your biggest advocate. And yes, you will have coaches and mentors and sponsors and like friends and peers and whatever throughout your personal life and also your career, but no one is going to have your interests at heart more than you. And it's it's not a bad thing. Like you, of course, understand yourself best, right? And this is what all like the journaling helps with the self-reflection where you want to go in life. But if you're doing good work, don't let the imposter syndrome in you prevent you from speaking up about it. Like if you're killing it at the client site and the client loves the work that you're doing for them, tell your mentor, tell your coach, like tell your manager so they can help um, like get you the recognition that you deserve. Or for example, if you know that you want to, I don't know, like be in consulting, don't tell yourself that I don't have the experiences and I'll never be able to get it because I can't get into consulting clubs. Um, find ways around it like try to pick things that are adjacent to consulting and helps you gain experience and helps you to break in I think that a lot of people like me included sometimes we set up artificial barriers for ourselves more so because we think that we can't do something or something is an insurmountable challenge but if you change the way that you talk to yourself and that you think to yourself and really advocate both like by yourself to yourself and about yourself to other people, then I think that you'll be able to see such a dramatic shift in your career. And I've definitely seen it in the past few years. Like when I first joined Deloitte, like I was literally like nobody. <laughs> like there's no one from Wharton. Like Wharton is obviously a good school in the States, but there was no one at the Canadian firm with an undergraduate degree from Wharton. 
and I had no networks going in. I didn't know a single person. And like I said, I was the only um, campus hire into my group. So I was truly and utterly alone. And throughout my first year or so, I just really focused on trying to build connections and to advocate for myself as I moved throughout the firm. By the end of the first year, I actually, um, I did a dual secondment to the Future of Canada Center. Um, I became the national co-chair of a 1500 person initiative. I got put in touch with the managing partner of government and public services. I started working closely with the board of directors for Deloitte. And these are all things that were possible because I advocated for myself and my interests, not just in terms of what I wanted to do for my client projects, but how I wanted to learn and grow as a person and make full use of all of the resources that my firm offers. So definitely my last lesson to um, all the listeners out there is that you really want to be the driver of your journey, both in terms of where you want to go in your personal life and also in your professional life. Thank you so much, Angela, for sharing your insights and your expertise. I really hope everyone listening has learned a little bit more about imposter syndrome and hopefully isn't feeling as alone in dealing with it and has learned some really valuable tips I know I have on dealing with it and the challenges that uh, you can overcome with just changing your mindset. So thank you so much again, Angela. We'll have all of Angela's information in our website as well as Instagram page. I highly recommend you check out her advice by AC. A lot of amazing resources there, especially if you're looking for consulting. And even if you're not, she's a really great resource. So highly recommend you check her out. (laughs) Thank you so much, Angela. Yeah, it's a pleasure speaking with you and good luck to all the listeners out there.